All right, let's bring our focus back together. And <clears throat> what I've had us do here to start is kind of indicative of what I'd like us to think about each Sunday over the next couple of Sundays. I know you could continue these conversations for hours. I know you could, which is great. So do so, but on your own time. All right, now we got to focus. we got to get some stuff done here this morning. <clears throat> if you found the conversation difficult to know where to get started, fine. It's the first time we're doing something like this and phrasing it that way. But also it's tricky because we're not always trying stuff each week, experimenting as Christians. We're kind of like doing what we do. But if you're not trying stuff, then nothing's either going to work or not work because nothing happened. So there's an experimental nature to our faith that is a good thing. It's supposed to be like the grand Christian experiment. And Christ is supposed to show us that it's possible. But it's not supposed to make sense, but it's meant to be experimented with. And so what you see on those papers there in front of you is a little chart. I'm going to try to print these out each week. I need to print out more because we ran out. So that's a great thing, great problem to have. Um, and I'm going to introduce a topic over the next couple of months, each Sunday, another topic which is like a Christian skill, a Christian tool that we're supposed to be good at in the world, and that will give us something to experiment with. And this is often a failing of traditional kind of sermons, is that you get a lot of theory, and then you're sort of left on your own to be like, all right, well, what do I do with this? Well, I want to kind of flip that over and make the whole point of my next few sermons, next maybe even a couple of months, to say, this is a skill that Christians are given. This is a skill that Christians develop as they live out the Christian life, as we live in a different way than the world. So let's hear a little bit about what the Bible has to say, but let's specifically come up with some ways that we want to experiment with this thing this coming week. So on the top right there, you see a little thing that says the subject or the theme or whatever. Just write the word forgiveness in there for me, please. That's the theme for this morning. Forgiveness is the crucial Christian life skill. The pivotal, foundational, basic, core level tool and talent that we're called to use. It's the basis of our faith. If we don't get forgiven, we're not Christians. <laughs> and if we don't forgive others, God says, well, I'm not going to forgive you if you're not willing to live in the grace that with the Lord's prayer, right? So forgiveness has to be done. To maintain our relationship with the Lord, a Christian is a forgiver. A Christian is a forgiven one. And so I felt like that has to be the first skill that we talk about. And so what that means is as I look at a couple of scriptures, we read them together, I'd like to give you some instructions, some ingredients, if you want to think of it like a lab, that the Bible has on forgiveness. I want you to be writing those down in the biblical instruction little part. You know, make some notes that come from scripture. Because if we go and experiment on our own with our ideas, what we think forgiveness should be, or how we think it should work, like that's not going to be a great experiment. That's going to be a human experiment. As we're going to talk about today, I think human forgiveness is very different than Christian forgiveness. I think they're two totally different things. So as we're going through, write down some notes from Scripture. Maybe if something's personal to you, write it on the side. And then we're going to think at the bottom there, um, how does this apply? How does forgiveness help us love God? How does it help us love our neighbor? How does it help us love ourselves? Anyone think forgiving ourselves is a pretty important Christian life skill? Preach! Come on! Can I get an amen? We have to forgive ourselves, but sometimes we don't go that far, or sometimes that's too hard. Maybe that'll be part of your experiment this week. 
So I'll leave it to you at the end to decide and maybe even to talk again if we, we have time with your little lab partners this morning in the forgiveness experiment, um, what God's going to say to you. And then guess what? When we get back together next week, what are we going to start with? What worked and what didn't? Let's experiment with some stuff. Because I, what's that great quote? I think it's by Chesterton. It is not that Christianity has been found wanting and left, no, found wanting and left. That's the second part of it. It's not that Christianity has been found, has been tried and found wanting. It's that it's been found difficult and been left untried. I'll say that again for myself, because I did not get that. G.K. Chesterton wrote a great book called Orthodoxy. You should read it. It is wonderful. Old school theologian, a lot of good brain-busting thoughts in there. You will be enriched by any piece of it that you take out. So he said, it is not that Christianity has been tried by so many people and found like it doesn't work, found wanting. Nope. People come up against Christianity, like right to the edge of it, and find it difficult, and so they leave it untried. Never getting a chance to see what God will do when we're courageous in the, in the face of fear. When we, we ask for forgiveness and are separated from our sins, not just like shove them under the rug like most people are forced to. Because they don't have Christ who's actually atoning for something. There's so much. So... I don't want us to say Christianity is difficult. We've never tried it. <laughs> we want to try stuff every single week, living experimentally. And if it fails, if we learn along the way, we didn't know this as well as we thought, or this was harder than we thought, awesome. Christ is walking with us through it. Christ is the perfecter. He is our righteousness. But I want us to try to implement these things that the Bible gives us to change our lives and change the world. That's, that's Christ's gospel message. So, for forgiveness, <clears throat> the, the main difference that I'd like us to see is that worldly forgiveness and Christian forgiveness are two different things. So, I'm going to explain that. And there's some scriptures that show why that's different. And then the way I see it in scripture, and maybe an easy way to remember it, is that the four steps of biblical forgiveness, really simply, see it, say it, Pay it, leave it. See it? Say it, pay it, leave it. That's Christian forgiveness. And it is so much more than the human level understanding of, oh, I'm just going to let that go. I'm going to just let that go. It's not worth it. I've forgiven them. We've moved on. It is so much more than that. It's so much more challenging, actually. It's very difficult. Forgiveness is a huge challenge. But if we can keep some of those steps in mind, and think about which ones, which steps we might want to be implementing between us and God, between us and ourselves, between us and our neighbor. Now we're starting to get some raw materials to experiment with for forgiveness. So that's the basic outline of where we're going to go. <clears throat> I'm going to say a word of prayer now, kind of gather our thoughts into one place, and uh, then we'll, we'll jump right in. But please pray with me. Father God, thank you for experimenting with the human race and with the universe and the ways that you do. For you, you know the outcomes. And for us, we're awaiting results in so many areas of our lives. And that's okay. We trust you. You're a good creator with a good design. You have good ingredients and you, you make beautiful things out of uh, the people of dust. And so in your mercy and grace, we say thank you. Would you please give us some uh, further insight into the forgiveness that you extend to us through Christ, what it means in you, 
May you teach us a little bit more about how we can be forgiving in our lives to others and to ourselves this morning. And um, we pray for opportunities in this upcoming week to see how your, your grand experiment of salvation plays itself out in all the places that you send us. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So, worldly forgiveness versus Christian forgiveness. I think at best, worldly forgiveness amounts to mercy. Mercy. Worldly forgiveness is mercy. What is mercy? Mercy is letting someone off the hook. So if you have a merciful judge, it means, or a merciful police officer, it means we were speeding, but they just said, they gave us a warning. Mercy is, I just let you go. You, there was an infraction here, but I'm going to let it go. I'm going I'm to not have a penalty for what you deserved a penalty for. So that's mercy. Justice is obviously just getting the fine. You earned it. You earned it by driving 20 miles an hour of the speed limit, so you get the fine, you pay it. It's just justice. So justice is first step. Mercy is the second. Then grace, as we know through Christ, grace is getting blessed despite our sin. So grace in the policeman example would be you get pulled over speeding and the policeman gives you $100 and a big hug. <laughs> He's like, I love you. Right? I don't think that's happened to any of us here. It has not happened to me. Uh, but policemen's job is not to extend grace, necessarily. They're actually fulfilling their job by doing justice, but they get the prerogative of extending mercy once in a while. Um, they'd actually be very bad at their job if they complimented people for breaking the laws that they're charged to enforce. So they're doing their job. They're justice agents. Um, we are grace agents. We are something else. We are something else. So let's say we sin against one another. We say something offensive. We rub someone the wrong way. This happens all the time. I do this to you. You do this to me. We do this to each other. Families do this within each other. There's offenses. If it's just a human level thing, you say, well, I understand why that happened. I'm going to let it go. Human forgiveness is just mercy. I recognize something is wrong, but it's not a big deal, or I'm not going to make it a big deal. Or even if it is big, I'm letting you off the hook. And that's a beautiful beautiful thing. But if you think about it, that's temporary. Human forgiveness is temporary. You let someone off the hook now for this thing. But you don't let them off the hook for everything they've ever done or everything they're ever going to do. And it gets harder and harder to let someone off the hook when they are repeat offenders. When we are repeat offenders, it gets harder to just let it go. It feels like you're being a doormat. And sometimes we are. We're enabling. Sometimes we have to not let something go, and that's the justice. We'll let that be a topic for another time. But human forgiveness is just temporary for this moment. I let it go. So no one actually gets paid for the offense. But with God's version of forgiveness... It's a permanent separation of us from that sin that's been actually paid for. We transfer our punishment to Christ every time we sin. And you can think about that. I can think about that. The next time we feel ourselves slipping into sin and we say something or do something, and it's like, God, would you please transfer the payment, the punishment, to Christ on my behalf? Jesus, please take that. So actually, in God's book, Christian forgiveness is done with and paid for. In the human book, it's never actually paid for. It's just released. 
So the Greek word for forgiveness in the New Testament, the one that Jesus uses, is a word that means separated and like thrown away from yourself. So when God says, I forgive you, he takes our sins, he cuts the cord, they're no longer attached to us, and they're thrown away, they're like hurled away from us, nowhere near us anymore. It's not just he lets them go. It's not just that he looks at us and says, well, and better luck next time. They're actually paid for. He turns to Christ. Christ pays for, atones for those sins. And then they are taken away from us. They are removed from us. So we're no longer guilty for sin. And so that's a permanent <coughs> cut. We may sin again, but God is actually paying. He's atoning. Christ is atoning for our sins every time we come to him in repentance. So with this human kind of like, I let it go, we look at God and his version of forgiveness. And we see that there's actual freedom involved there because you're not the same person you were. You're no longer bound to that sin. It is not on you anymore. It has been transferred over to Christ. Um, I was thinking about this in the context of the new year and thinking that in very real way, we need to kind of like forgive 2022. We need to cut ties with it. We need to let it go in order to be able to move on. And isn't that kind of the opposite of the New Year's resolutions where we think, okay, I'm going to do this new thing in the new year. And they always kind of fizzle out because you're trying to add something into your life. But if you haven't been doing that for a year or more, forcing something into an already full life is going to be a really challenging thing to do. And eventually it kind of like fizzles out. The best way to change is actually to take things off, to subtract. You will become a different person by dropping and removing the things that are not of God and by clothing ourselves with the things of Christ. There's a, there's a spiritual lesson to be learned there. And so that's just like a little aside that I was thinking about in terms of forgiveness and the new year. I would encourage you far more, and myself included, to get rid of something in order to find ourselves changing than trying to add something into our lives. And so that's where the forgiveness comes. What can we drop? And that's what the word forgiveness means. It isn't just it's going to be okay. It's like that's not on you anymore. That's not part of you anymore. That's gone. And that's what brings us to our four steps. I'll remind us of them one more time. We'll look at our scriptures. In order to really embrace Christian forgiveness, you need to be able to see it. This is a work of the Holy Spirit who opens our eyes. Sometimes our family members are so kind to tell us where we have fallen into error. And they make us aware that we see that we have been rude because they're like, hey, stop being a jerk. Why'd you say that? Like, oh, I see now that what I said was completely unacceptable. And we have to see it. But if you recognize in Scripture so often, the minds of people in this world are blinded and eyes are covered. So very often people don't see, and even we can't yet see, where it is that we need to confess and change and grow. So if you're interested in pursuing this experiment of forgiveness this week and for the rest of your lives and all of eternity, then start with asking God to let you see in yourself and in others where are the things that need to be dropped, cut, removed. That's what forgiveness is. So there's the seeing, there's recognition. That's a spiritual thing that happens. You know it's spiritual because sometimes we confront people with things that they should get, and even we say it to them that doesn't make any sense to them, right? They're like, no, no, no. And there's all the reasons why what we're saying is not making sense. There's a blindness. 
So start with forgiveness with prayer. Um, see it and then say it. The second step is actually confession, is admitting it. We need to say to God, I encourage you to say out loud, Father, these are the ways that I've sinned. Please forgive me. Go to someone face to face. Not via T E X T. XT, not text. Don't, don't do forgiveness on text. That's like a recipe for disaster. Don't, don't do that. And then if you have, then probably go and ask for forgiveness for doing that. And then you can ask for forgiveness for the thing that you were texting about. Um, no, people are meant to be people face to face. So there has to be a verbalizing. There's, there's a confession. And then there has to be a payment. And so this is where I think Christians recognize things differently. <laughs> We admit that there are things that are wrong, but we don't think we can get away without paying for it. We just are so grateful that someone's willing to pay for it for us. That's a uniquely Christian thing. Without Christ, you would either need to try to avoid it. Let's just not talk about that topic anymore. Or be so self-focused that you only see it from your point of view almost to the point of narcissism, where like everybody else is wrong and I'm right, and so I don't know why anybody else can't see this. I know what I'm doing. But with Christ, we, we fully accept. We make mistakes. We sin. What worked and what didn't. But we have hope because Christ steps in and says, well, let me take that from you. And the last thing, see it, say it, pay it, and leave it. Uh, that's the metanoia. That's the repentance. That's leaving. That's changing it's new behavior. The, the forgiveness cycle requires you to not just go back and do it again. The same mistake, the same offense, the same poor speech, the same lack of follow through, the same whatever it may be for us in any given moment. There has to be a leaving. And so we may find ourselves in relationships with those who are willing to confess and say so. But then they never leave it behind. It's like, well, okay, well, that's the step for growth, right? That's where God's going to give that person or give us an opportunity for real change. So let's look at the scriptures that can speak to this so clearly and be thinking, again, personally, how does this relate to you and to God and to others? The first one is in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, and we'll start in verse 9. 2 Corinthians 7, 9. Here are the ingredients, the recipe for a Christian life written by Paul from the Holy Spirit to early Christians. We can adopt these things to ourselves as well. So let's read it and uh, see what God has to say to us this morning. 2 Corinthians 7 verse 9. Paul's writing and he says to these believers, As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved. He had written them a letter and it was very pointed, very direct. And so there was hurt there. So he says, I rejoice not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. That's the leaving. The grief led to leaving the, the sin behind. Um, not because you grieved, because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief. This is the true cutting of the cord. It's the forgiveness so that you suffered no ultimate loss through us. For godly grief seeing something that isn't good and leaving it behind, godly grief produces a repentance, a change, a new mind. And that leads to salvation with no regrets. That's supposed to be the Christian lifestyle, living a life without regrets. Even though we have much to be 
guilty of, we haven't paid for, and so we are grateful for God. We don't live with our regrets. They're paid for and separated from us. Okay? Whereas worldly grief just produces death. We feel devastated by something, and it just spirals us into either more sin or just depression and hopelessness. Verse 11 continues, For see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you, but also what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment. At every point you have proved yourselves innocent in the matter. So although I wrote to you, or we could say, you know, spoke to you, it was not for the sake of the one who did the wrong, nor for the sake of the one who suffered the wrong, but in order that all of your earnestness for us might be revealed to you in the sight of God. Revealed. There's the seeing. Revealed in the sight of God. And therefore we are comforted. And besides our own comfort, we rejoice still more at the joy of Titus because his spirit has been refreshed by you all. So you see, in this instance, Paul's eyes got opened first. And so he stepped into a conversation, was willing to say something about it. This is kind of how Matthew 18 outlines when you work through things with people. We're meant to be in relationship with each other. And you recognize here that on the other side of it, the conversations weren't ever meant to be like combative and weren't meant to be judgmental. They're meant to produce change because something was harmful that was going on. It was like, hey, the stove's hot, don't touch it. And so the person didn't want to hear that at first. But in the end, Paul isn't looking for just the hammer of scripture. He's looking for change, for salvation. And so he's so happy that he sees that in the people he talked to. There's change in their lives. They're leaving things behind. They're eager to want to become new. And so forgiveness has fully happened in this, the full cycle of forgiveness. I didn't write down the scripture and the reference, and so I wish I, I could. I think it's also in 2 Corinthians. Um, Paul says, whatever you have forgiven on my behalf, I have also forgiven even though I'm not with you. And this leads us into the next scripture where Jesus speaks to his disciples and talks about this kind of like, extension of forgiveness when we forgive people we're forgiving them on behalf of christ it's not our forgiveness to pass along it's god's atonement you can offer people to be cut free from their sins to have no guilt to just live as new people to be transformed because the old is gone literally gone so it's clearly god's offer that we're extending to others uh, but paul here offers forgiveness to his people. It's kind of like this, I've been forgiven and I forgive you and you forgive others and this generational progression. And so that's been passed down to us. Whose sins that we forgive are forgiven through Christ. For our sins have been forgiven through Christ. So read with me that part of this puzzle. It's in the Gospel of John and it's in chapter 20. John chapter 20. All right, yes. John 20, verse 21. Gospel of John, chapter 20, verse 21. This is such an interesting passage. I, I deliberated whether the whole sermon should just be about this thought, but I want to expand our concept of forgiveness, not just focus on one. But if you're interested in a very... I think enlightening, dig into forgiveness and what it means. Think about these verses this week. 
and uh, how forgiveness is almost a gift that can be passed on, um, the way Jesus says it. So let's just read it together. John 20, verse 21. This is after the resurrection. He's speaking to his disciples. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Now if you forgive the sins of anyone, they are forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness from anyone, it is withheld. What he did here is he made Christians the agents of forgiveness in the world. That's like a really interesting thing. Would you feel comfortable going up to someone and saying, your sins are forgiven? Right. But that's exactly what Jesus was accused of by all his detractors. Who are you to go and forgive people's sins? Because the Pharisees didn't see Christ as divine, so he to them was just a man. So from the early Jewish perspective, there was this man walking around. I forgive your sins. I forgive your sins. I forgive you. That very odd. But Jesus recognized he'd been given the role of the forgiver. The role of atonement. So he was just doing his job. As I've been sent by the Father, so I'm sent. But here he passes on that job to us. I think it is entirely biblical for us to lay our hands on someone and say, I forgive you. And as an agent of the Lord, we know it's not our forgiveness. It's through the Holy Spirit, which is God in us. We've been commissioned to be forgivers. Not just forgiving people who have sinned against us, but offering forgiveness to people. Maybe the person that you see and you sit with on the subway or at work or whatever needs to feel forgiveness, but they didn't sin against you. Pray with them and say, your sins are forgiven. How powerful is that? How much more direct is that in a way that God's loving someone versus there is a concept of forgiveness. And if you pursue with God, you will find it. You know, that's true. But actually, Jesus invites his disciples to do more than that. You now contain, you have, you've been given forgiveness. Please pass it on to others. Be forgivers. Preach forgiveness. Offer, grant forgiveness. And obviously it'll be between that person's spirit and with God as to whether a sin is forgiven or whether they are saved and all sins are forgiven. That's nothing we have control over. But the forgiveness? Yeah, we're meant to convey it. We're meant to distribute forgiveness. And that's why Paul says, anything that you forgive, I've forgiven. He's passed on the role of forgiveness to the people within their own church family. So it's an authority thing. So within your family, you have the role of being the forgiveness agents. So take that role seriously. Try to pass Christ's forgiveness into the relationships that are around you. That's the gospel. It's the good news that we do not need to pay for our sins. Christ pays for them. So let's add the third one into the third scripture. It's in 1 John chapter 8. And this one is about us each specifically. And this comes to... Um, gets closer to uh, talking about how we'll forgive ourselves and how important that is. All right, we'll start in verse 5. 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. This is right before Revelation, right at the end of the Bible, the letters of John. Um, he does such a great job explaining the gospel and... Um, speak specifically about sin in this point. So th there is also no such thing as recognizing forgiveness without admitting sin. <laughs> 
that you have to have both. So Christians should be really good at admitting our sins and then really good at turning them over to Christ and really good at stepping away from them. This is a Christian life skill. This is where we're meant to experiment and grow in the process of sanctification. So John, 1 John chapter 1, verse 5 says, This is the message that we have heard from Jesus, from him, and we proclaim to you. That God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. So if we say we have fellowship with Him, we call ourselves Christians, but we walk in the darkness, we lie, and we're not practicing the truth. This is the experimental concept I want us to really grasp. We're, We're practitioners of the faith. We are not just students of the faith. We experiment with our faith. And we see how it works, and we grow it, and we wrestle with it. So they're practicing their faith. That's what he's saying there. That's what the word practice means. But, verse 7, if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. It brings us together. Fellowship. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all of our sins. Now, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, we see it, then we say it. He is always faithful, and he's just, and he will forgive. And that's not just your pardon. He's like separates it from us. He cuts it free, removes it from us, all of our sins, and cleanses us from all unrighteousness. So if we say we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. But it's so easy to get too caught up in our sins, so we hyper-focus on it all the time. Woe is me, I can never do this thing right, I'm always failing. That's like an obsession with sin. That's not what Christians are called to. We're called to be forgiven people. So we're not looking for sin, seeing sin in everything and, and doing nothing we get together about talking, but talking about our sins. We're called to face our sins head on and put them down at the cross and leave them behind then and move on and if one crops up again then we face that one head on and we put it down we move on this daily immersion in forgiveness and cutting the cord and sin is a very powerful thing I'm going to take a moment here as an aside just to make sure that we all understand this one concept do you remember when Jesus said everyone who slaves is everyone who sins is a slave to sin Everybody remember that verse? He was talking with the Jews around him, and they said, we've never been slaves of anyone. Our father is the devil, and father is Abraham. Like this whole conversation, the quote, the key quote, is that everyone who sins, so me, you, 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 uh, becomes a slave to it. A sin is a contract. It's a contractual thing that when we choose to sin, we enter into like a binding thing and sin sticks to us. We've chosen it. We accept it. So you open your heart and this thing climbs in. (laughs) But humans don't have the capability of getting it out or getting it off. That's only Christ on the cross. So although we have the role of saying yes or no, we can be gatekeepers. Once sin gets stuck to us, only Christ can clean us off. So the role of Christ is the covenant satisfier, the covenant fulfiller, the contract payer. He pays the debt. This requires us to be really clear about what sin is, so that we can know in the ways that we're becoming stuck. But it also requires us to be really hopeful because we don't stay stuck. This is Romans 7, 8, and 9. Christ pays for us. He frees us. 
So we're also just not the same people that we've ever been because as Christ sets us free, sets us free, he gives us back that same choice that Adam and Eve had originally. Will we choose God or won't we? And then we have this desire, we have this spirit in us that we actually can choose God. So if you just keep that in your mind when you think about sin, Every sin we commit is sticking to us until Christ pays for it. And that's why we come to him. That's why we pray for his blood to be shed, to be forgiven of all of our sins. There is no forgiveness without the shedding of blood. Uh, That's another scripture that we need to be aware of. So sin is binding. Um, Jesus' atonement is actually freeing because we're no longer guilty. It's been paid for. So... Take these thoughts, kind of put them together into our category, and think for just a moment in that kind of personal side of the the column, like which of these thoughts are ones that you want to just think about a little bit more? Or what are these things that felt like, you know what, that part relates. Not every scripture is going to relate to every one of our lives and not all in the same way. Well, that's the experimental part of it. We're not cookie cutters, but we all encounter the truth. And through my time of praying this last week, I really felt like forgiveness is the thing we're supposed to be talking about. So that means for those of us here, it's the thing that God wants, myself included, all of us to think about. So if there's anything that stood out to you personally, just you want to think more on, or you have a book you want to look up, or more of a scripture you want to read, write that over on that side. And if scripture is going to have any impact in our lives, it has to satisfy the greatest commandment. It's supposed to help us love God, love our neighbor, and love ourselves better. And so this is where I want you to turn back to your groups of five again and just think together. Do a little bit of application. If there's an experiment in forgiveness and if these scriptures are our raw materials, how could these things help you help me love God more this week? Because if it doesn't, then we shouldn't have even talked about it. There's no point. But if the things we talked about today will draw you closer to God, try to dig into that a little bit. Help each other find ways Are there ways that we need to learn to love ourselves better? And forgiveness is going to be critical for that. Well, then what does that look like? Let's hash it out together. And then after a few minutes, they'll give us some time to kind of talk and think about it. Then um, I want you to set yourself some goals. Set an experiment. On Tuesday, I want to make this phone call. On Wednesday, I want to have this prayer time. (laughs) On Thursday, I want to fast for this person and the unforgiveness thing that I know is in their family between siblings or parents and children. I want God to just bring his forgiveness and what role we might have in that or not have in that. So the, the goals can be at the end of it. But would we take five minutes now, 10, and turn to your groups of five, take these thoughts and think about how can we love God, love ourselves, and love others.